Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, joined today by Megan Boxall. How are you doing, Megan? I'm good, thank you. Excellent. You've written the cover feature this week? Yes, with, with a bit of help. A bit of help? Oh, from the team? From the team, yeah, yeah. We don't need help in these matters, really. It's, uh, it's, it's a joint effort. <laughs> yes. So. Uh, and uh, Phil Oakley, how are you doing, Phil? Very well, thanks, John. Excellent. A, big, a very long uh, comments column from you. It's more of a feature. It's quite long. It's quite long. Sorry, but it's, I'm sorry about that. That's all right. But it's, it's possibly about one of the most important things investors can look at when they are uh, trying to identify shares worth buying, which is, is cash. Sales are vanity, profits are sanity, but are they? Well, <laughs> after events this week, who knows? Indeed, and we should uh, probably kick off uh, before we move on to the feature and Phil's, uh, Phil's column with what's been going on in the markets this week. Some of that's in the news section. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the markets have been horrific. Yeah, it's, it's time. It's coming. Is it? I mean, this is what I ask in my column. I've, I've asked this question, though, probably about a dozen times over the past five years. You know, is this the end? Is this the big one? Is it here? Is it here? Is it here? Uh, yeah. You think so? <laughs> Mark Mark refers in his column to the fact that we've we've suggested that the end is coming so many times, and then the ne- the day after we write a, an article like that, Mark hits a new high, which I don't think is going to happen in this case, but. It has happened a lot of times. Like I wrote a feature last year, I think about preparing yourself for the the bear market, and that was nearly a year ago. Yeah, that was just before Christmas, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, well, it was still timely advice because it's given people plenty of time to prepare. I mean, the the sell off in some shares has been absolutely savage. Yeah, Uh, Fever Tree being a good example. And that's that. I mean, that's let's let's move to the column. That's the subject of the column this week. You use it as an example of how to analyse a cash flow statement, but actually their shares have really taken an absolute hammering this week. They have. I mean, in terms of of looking at at Fevertree from a cash flow point of view, it actually shows Fevertree in a very good light indeed. Shows it's an extremely profitable business, making great returns on the the cash that it invests, um, growing the amounts of cash flow to, um, to investors. The issue... Is and has been for some in some time is um, what price the stock market puts on that cash, and it's a very high one. I mean, I think at the time of writing shows you how fast things have moved in two or three days. But on on Tuesday afternoon, when I was finishing off this column, the shares had been off, I don't know, well over a quarter in a month, and they still traded on a cash basis. So the cash yield, which is the free cash flow per share divided by the share price if you were looking at consensus analyst forecasts out to 2020 the free cash flow yield on the shares was less than two percent as of the share price a little bit higher now the shares have gone down a bit more but you know that is a very very low yield low interest rate and it tells you that even after such a sharp correction in its share price Investors are still paying a lot for the future in this company. Yeah, and and, and I guess the, I mean, the, as you say, the, the your analysis, prove, you know, suggests that that Fever Tree is actually a good business. Yeah. It probably still is a good business, but but I guess the question is, have investors been paying too much for it? Yeah, I think, and and and, and maybe that's what the market is reassessing. It seems to be happening across the board with two, some of these highly priced companies. I think there's two things that people are reassessing, investors reassessing. I think the valuation is one, and that's true across a number of. Very, very highly rated rated shares. Fevertree this week has um, come under scrutiny. I think from a, some some industry analysis last week, which showed the 
sales growth of its uh, products in the UK slowing very sharply in September. And um, that that has got people questioning about the sustainability of the growth and actually one of the things it's one of the things i kind of allude to in the in the article actually in the comment about how fever tree fever tree a lot of cash flow is going out the door at fever tree in terms of the amount of credit that they're giving uh, giving customers every year and the ratio of credits to sales is going higher and higher and higher over the last few years and now is you know getting close to a third of sales and it may well be perfectly legitimate, but that's a very big number, a lot bigger than any other soft drink company out there. And you can only do that for so long. And I think the, the, the cynic in you or the, the wary would say, just watch your eye on this because it may well be that you could have extra, give extra credit to your customers to drive sales to beat expectations out in the market and drive your share price, drive analyst upgrades and that kind of thing. But they've, they've also got a young business, so so they have to approach things in a of slightly course. different way to some more established soft drinks companies. Absolutely, and obviously one of the ways of growing is that you do offer you do offer credit to, to pay maybe people that you want to do business with who can buy a lot of what you're selling, and that's perfectly legitimate. And, and they have they have made extraordinary. I mean, their market share has been. You know their gains have been significant. Yeah. They're in all the major retailers. Yeah. They're, they're in. So I mean, they have done what they set Some out to do. Some people say there's more. There's more to go on that. That, that. Actually, in the UK, that in terms of the places that sell that sell posh gin, that, that actually there's still there's still room for Fever Tree to move in there. That's the that's the that's the bull case. My my view on that is I'm nothing wrong with credit, and actually. Fevertree is in a very good position to offer credit because it doesn't have to invest in any manufacturing assets or distribution assets. It's outsourced that. So instead of investing in uh, in physical assets to grow the business, it can actually invest in um, offering credit to customers to, to grow the business. And as, so as long as that credit, those outstanding invoices or the credit, as long as the bills get paid, there's no problem at all. I think it's just something – you could say I'm being a bit picky, and I wouldn't disagree entirely, but it's just something you just want to keep an eye on when with it's this that company. expensive, you probably should be picky. Are you mean expensive in terms of the share in price? In terms of the share price. It's not as expensive as it was a month ago. No. I mean, it's, uh, I, I did a quick look, had a quick look on Bloomberg. I mean, the, the PE a month ago was so, 80. Yeah, yeah. Now it's 50. Yeah. And even at 50, even 50 is asking a lot. Company. It is it is a great example, you know. As if we just look at the facts as we see them now, this is an outstanding business. This is an outstanding business that's growing, and you can't, you can very easily see why investors have warmed to this. I think it's just, you know, are they are they paying too much? And time will tell. Mm. The, the, I mean, you you could argue. I mean, people are prepared to pony up a little bit more cash for for quality, which which we I think we all agree this is. But also momentum must have been driving quite a lot of interest in shares like Fever Tree. Mm. And, you know, I, I write about momentum in my editorial. And I must admit, Phil, I nicked it off a tweet that you, uh, a little tweet conversation yeah. you had with someone. <laughs> I think right. your conclusion was that valuation w- will matter again. Um, but momentum, is, is this the end of the road? If it is, a lot, there's a lot of trouble brewing out there. I, it could be. I, you know, this... This is this is one of the most sort of interesting things probably about stock market investing. It isn't a science. It isn't a painting by numbers exercise. It is 
driven by you know our behavior our our sort of fear and greed uh, monitors animal and, animal spirits animal spirits that's, that's the word i was looking for or the words i was looking for um you get something that's good it keeps on good and people think it'll keep on going good until it isn't good but and you that, never know when that's going to be which no is the point i make but i think the point that i think you're highlighting is that of once the once the the wind direction changes I like, I look at momentum momentum vessels quite like cycling with the wind on your back it feels easy and you know it's 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 a nice feeling it feels easy and then you turn and you've got the wind in your face and it's a completely different ball game I've tried cycling it's, it feels difficult whether just I've got the, the wind behind me whether I'm going down here or up here when people when people are making money and they keep on making money they 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 keep in it then you get then you get the process working in reverse, and they think, oh, that that share's lost money today. I'm maybe I should sell a few before I lose, and it becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. Mm. But yeah, I mean, this is all about though. I think it's it's coming back to you know what's going on over the other side of the Atlantic, really, in terms of what what interest rates are doing, or the fear that interest rates will rise and keep on rising, perhaps more than. Than people previously thought, and that if bonds if bonds get cheaper, then then shares have to get cheaper as well. Well, it, well, it seems there's a lot of inflationary pressures out there as well, and and that actually takes us quite neatly onto one of the uh, news stories this week. I know I know it's nothing that was written by anyone in this room, but we have talked about it. It was it was uh, it kind of came out of the podcast uh, that we did last week uh, with uh, Tim Martin of JD Weatherspoons. Yeah, that was a really really interesting podcast. He's such an interesting man. He has lots of good answers to all the questions that Julia Forshaw posed to him. But the one that was really interesting, and that was why we decided to write the story, was about uh, the recent strikes. Book strikes. Exactly, yes. And uh, and there were 19 Weatherspoon staff, which also joined the McDonald's employees. In, it's quite a small number in the grand scheme of JD They have 40,000 employees. So it, was, it wasn't a huge proportion, but... It is. It, it's a sign that there is unrest in the hospitality sector based on wages, and that's that's something to be wary of when these companies are already pretty tight on their costs and their margins. I think what we the the, the point that that Tim uh, Mr Martin made in the in the interview was that you know he's paying. Uh, a, a sort of minimum wage, I think it is, to, to a lot of yeah, the staff. Yeah, it's the national living wage. National living yeah. wage, which is which is quite generous um, and set to rise further. Uh, and this is one of the things that's putting enormous pressure on uh, companies like Weatherspoons, but many other companies across the hospitality industry yeah. too. I, I, what I found really intriguing was that he's actually, they as a business are doing some, some interesting things in terms of staff compensation. Mm-hmm. Um that aren't in the form of wages, but but actually encourage really good behaviours. I would have thought in businesses. Yeah, well, they give free shares and they free shares, free shares. Yeah, and when the I mean, JD Weatherspoons hasn't done so good, so well this year, but it's over a five year period. You'd have made a nice lot of money if you'd taken up your free shares, which a fair number of the staff have done, and they also pay a lot of bonuses. And he was Tim Martin was actually saying that if you include all those, the salary does end up at about £10 an hour, which is what these workers are, are asking for. And it's, what the, it's the salary that people like Sainsbury's are paying at the moment, the basic salary that Sainsbury's is paying, but they're not paying any bonuses. There's no share scheme there anymore. And Tim Martin argues that actually 
what's the what's the moral argument for doing that? It doesn't it it isn't so good for workers' behaviour, and, and there's no incentive. Well, there. I was going to say from a shareholder's perspective, you know, I would like I think it's good to have staff whose in- incentives are aligned with the business. Exactly, yeah. and and actually the ownership of shares and, and share investment schemes. We've written about this in the magazine frequently. Are a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen it at Sports Direct, another company that gets pilloried, but which actually had some quite good bonus schemes for its staff. Yeah, and actually the other interesting characteristic about uh, both Weatherspoon and Sports Direct is the the, 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 the main direct the directors get paid very small amounts in, yeah. in the sort of context of of, of inflated well, uh, executive salaries we, paid, we often hear about. Paid nothing, so he is a particularly unusual case. But, but Tim, yeah. Tim Martin as well is I think way below the average three hundred twenty four thousand pounds yeah. a year. Yeah, and the average FTSE one hundred salary is three point nine million. So he is a fraction of that, and. Uh, and that's another. And his dividend doesn't change every year either. His dividend income off his shares is exactly the same. They kept, they've kept the kept the dividend unchanged for years, so he's not making any more money out of his shares either. The shareholders can't be too happy about that. Yeah. No, they, I think they are actually because the money is used to actually shrink the number of shares. Right, right. So, so they're, they're getting it back in some way. Yeah, absolutely. Fine, yeah, fine, yeah. fine. Yeah. I mean, I just thought it was a really fascinating story. It has mm. obviously a political angle that yeah. I mean, that's not what we do as a magazine but it, it kind of it's really interesting uh you know illustration of how when politics and business collide yeah. and, and the, point and the that, reality of business exactly and the point that and yes this is a political issue and it's very easy to say all oh, these workers should be being paid more but the point that tim martin makes is that if they did raise their their salary to 10 pounds an hour and included all those bonuses and shares as well it would eliminate the majority of their profits which means these workers would have no business to go to mm. eventually so it's a it's an interesting point worth making in the political and it's world. a real issue for for the pub sector in particular mm. i mean if you i mean i've been looking at quite a few pub companies over the last few months and well you did it you did a, uh, one of your columns on the yeah, pub industry capital intensive businesses yeah but it's it's the it's the what they have to do just to maintain their profits and if you talk look at a variety of what a variety of pubs are saying you know it's anything between you know like for like sales so the sales from existing pubs having to grow by sort of 2 to 4% just to maintain the profits because of all these cost cost pressures and there are a lot of bars and a lot of the big pub companies are not doing that and their profits are actually under under big pressure well there's perhaps one reason why they're not doing that is because the next generation of drinkers simply aren't there which we'll come on to in the, yeah. the cover feature very shortly but before we do that let's stick to the hospitality industry because i think the big news of the week arguably was uh, patisserie mm. The biggest news of the week. I mean, this was a, a this, surprise. This was a real surprise. Yeah. And Phil, I mean, you've taken a look at the accounts, and you, you know, you've concluded you couldn't have seen this coming. Well, I, I don't think any any outsider could have spotted this. I, I was having some quite lively debates on on Twitter yesterday with uh, one of them, one of the persons actually a qualified accountant, chartered accountant, and. Um, you know, when you have something, that, the word fraud has been mentioned by the company, so they are looking at its potential issue of fraud, and it is pretty much impossible for any of us, even professional investors on the outside of the company, to spot this. And there are lots of very simple, simple um, tests that you can look at, patterns in the accounts, particularly things like cash conversion, big liabilities, and all that kind of thing. And they're they're missing from this business. This business looks looks to have been in pretty decent health, 
Uh, and no, I was absolutely flabbergasted. So what, they said 20 million black hole in the accounts. They, ha- they haven't Sky. said that. Oh, they never said that was Sky. Sky, Sky News. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But what they have said is that there is a problem with uh, um, the tax man. Unpaid tax bill, yeah. Which yeah. is not that big, actually. Only over a million pounds. Which seems really... I mean... The chairman, Luke Johnson, and could probably stick his hand in his pocket and pay that tomorrow. He could, and that yes. was the holding company as well, wasn't it? That wasn't... That was the... That's, still that's not the group. That's the main... It was the main trading subsidiary. Yeah. yeah. Which accounts for a very significant proportion of yeah. the company's profits. Absolutely. So, yeah. very small number. I've heard talk of a potential winding up order, which makes me think it's a VAT-related issue. Um... So, I mean, is this business going to disappear? I mean, you know, Luke Johnson, 37% shareholder. Uh, a, you would have thought, you know, if it was possible to spot, the, the non-exec chairman who owns 37, 37% of the company would have been able to spot it. Yeah. Um, but B, you know, is, is there anything that he, you know, that can be done to keep it going? Is is it going to disappear because of this Depends this what threat? it is, though, doesn't it? I mean, it depends how big the issue ends up being. Yeah. Like, and nobody if, knows. No, exactly. Nobody knows. And, and when things like this have happened in the past with conviviality, I mean, once it happened, everyone said, oh, I could have seen that coming. And, well, not everyone, a lot of people said we could have seen it coming. Yeah, but this, I mean... There's nothing, even when you know there's something wrong with the accounts and you go through them, and there's just nothing there that looks dodgy. Yeah, I must admit, I mean, it's not a business I've ever really been that interested in because I don't get it. I just don't get it. I don't see where the What's market... To get? Cake and coffee. Cake and... Yeah, but there's so many people doing cake and coffee. <laughs> I mean, where does... Where, why is this company any different? What is... What is, what is it that makes patisserie something special in that market? I, I don't really get it. I, I don't know. As a consumer, I haven't been to very many, but they're not actually great either. That's I, the other thing. That's... I, I just ask myself whether some people, it's like the old Stella Artois advert of something that's reassuringly expensive. Reassuringly expensive cake. <laughs> Yeah, I think if you're if you're paying paying more for something, it must be better. Well, it's the same may be true of fever tree, reassuringly expensive yeah. uh, tonic. Uh, who knows? It's a very strange. It's very strange. Again, it goes back to psychology. It, it does, but I, I think just just on on patisserie as well. I mean, one of the interesting things, if you actually do dig into the accounts and uh, sort of get into it, there is a, there is a section actually there in the risks and in the audit report about it draws your attention to this is a cash business and when you do have a cash business there is potential for cash to go missing probably probably in the store not within the whole corporate within the corporate entity yeah you i mean cash businesses you you kind of generally think of sort of you know like tradesmen or you know local cafe not not a multi-million pound uh you know hundreds of stores publicly listed company well, I've never heard anyone going into Patisserie Valerie and saying, if I pay in cash, will you, will you drop the price a bit? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the other fascinating thing about this story uh, is there were some director share sales. Mm, uh, recently. Very recently. Yeah. Uh, let's not draw much inference from that. But actually, going back to Fever Tree, there have been some quite hefty director sales there yeah. too. There's people, the directors have taken a lot of money out of that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, one wonders whether this is something we should perhaps pay more attention to. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. It's the thing that's worth paying attention to. I mean, that's why we have the director's deals section of the magazine. This week, uh, the chairman or the deputy chairman, who is the founder of Abcam, sold another massive chunk. But with that, it's less worrying because he does it every year after the results. But, but if- you suggested there's something slightly different about yeah, about yeah. Well, this they, year's sale. Yeah, because I mean, Abcam's like, this time last year, Abcam was in a fantastic position, and 
that no one thought it was going to stop. And now, for the first time in a long time, there's just something going on at Abcam in terms of its costs, which isn't quite as perfect as it has been before. But, but that's exactly what we were saying about these other companies too. Mm. So, you know, direct to sale combined with some red flags. Yeah. Mm, it's, may, same, may... it's a similar theme to what we discussed in the last few weeks with the IPOs as well. You know, you get the IPO and you've got a selling shareholder who's selling out. And I think it's... F- you know, one of the first things you should do when you see a director selling or you see a major major shareholder selling, why are these why are these people selling? Yeah, often, I mean, often it's wrapped up in the whole share um, share incentive plan. So it's part of the pay they sell it because it's part of their pay. Yeah, um, yeah. not necessarily reflective of any kind of loss of faith in the company that they're running. Yeah. but it's kind of hard to tell those apart sometimes. Yeah. Well, the, the the patisserie value Valerie ones were um, they were option sales rather than outright sales of shares. I think I'm I think I'm right in saying. <laughs> but it's still quite interesting. I would say you know you've got the options. You can hang on to those shares for of ages. Course. And if you think if you, you know you you get the right to buy the shares at a certain price, and if you think the company's going to continue doing well then hey you're laughing yeah so, well, so cashing out yeah. of those options even that is perhaps a sign the that thing that fever street directors always say every single time they've been asked about this is satisfying, oh, satisfying institution, institution yeah, that old chestnut, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's an all-time high share price yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it is fascinating and there was a, on the same page actually there's another profit winner from quiz which didn't talking of ipos didn't come to market too long ago yeah everything's getting a bit uh a bit nervy edgy. A bit edgy mm. yeah um should we talk about something positive? Should we talk yeah. about something? I mean, we 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 were going to talk about your news story about telecoms, but we can come back to that. I think we need I think we need a bit of, bit of sunshine in the okay. podcast. Uh, should we talk about the cover feature? Because yeah. this is about the good things that the future may bring. Yeah, trends to befriend. And uh, tell us about the the, the idea, Megan. Well. The idea started uh, it started as looking at millennials, but you didn't like that, so no. we had to change it. Not that I don't like millennials, <laughs> you are one, after all, but uh, I think there's too much focus on this. Exactly, this, this and, and it is a really good point, because looking tapping into millennial trends is something that it is worth doing, but it's kind of a trend which has already happened. Like, we've already got Netflix, we've already said goodbye to however many retail high street stores because and, it, and it's not just millennials using these services no. you know it's people old old dodderers like like me who uses them too yeah and but th- this feature is more about the next lot of trends what are the things that are going to shape the markets the the companies that make up the markets in the next 10 20 years rather than the next 5 years and and um, so we picked six of the of the main trends based on stats which are out there and and uh it's it was really interesting actually to to see especially different writers takes on what these trends are and whether they're actually going to be big enough like one of the main trends at the moment which we just can't avoid is is the environment and we need we are becoming way more conscious of the environment because we have to but alex newman's article is very much saying don't worry about this yet and whether we're still going to be able to make a huge amount of money from oil in the next few years and yes there will come a time when the oil companies have to start being more responsible and being making more money from clean energy but it's actually price driven rather than it is sentiment driven see i think that's quite interesting uh everybody would like to keep the planet going in a you know fit state for as long as we possibly can but but economics prevail yeah you know your your household bills prevail mm-hmm. many people actually can't afford to to think about this as their number one priority yeah, to stick a solar panel on their roof and make their 
run their house from that. That's just not realistic. Absolutely. Although I found there was a great chart here, which yeah, I thought good. was absolutely fascinating, yeah. that it's actually people who profess to being more green who have higher carbon footprints. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great great stat that Alex has found there. It's, it's also interesting because this is it's a wealth effect, therefore, yeah. that, mm-hmm. that, that you become more aware of, of the environment as you become wealthier, but actually because you're wealthier, you are consuming more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I kind of thought the implication of that is actually as the, as, the, as the planet becomes wealthier, more people will start consuming more. So it's, it's a planet-wide problem. Therefore, it will become a problem. Yeah. And that's the same, yeah. same sort of thing that in the health trend we looked at as well. Like you have to, when you're looking at these trends, you have to think about the whole of the, the global spectrum of these trends. We can't just think about it in a, in a Western way. Yes, we are trying to be more healthy, more more fitness and conscious of of what we're doing to our bodies but hence fewer millennials going to the pub and drinking expensive gin and tonic definitely true but they are western trends and actually i mean a lot of the growth that that's going to come from investment is actually going to come from the emerging markets in the next few years so we need to think about the the health trends in in those countries as well and there people are making more money than ever from meat and from sugar and things like that which also has an environmental impact too yeah um, um you're, you're doing a feature at the moment, aren't you? You're working on a feature about Chinese uh, pharmaceutical companies. Yes, which is so interesting. I'm loving writing it. But 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 that's that. I guess is is kind of it's the it's an extension of this feature in that 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 is the where the trend yeah, is going to, exactly. to manifest and itself in the strongest way. I met the chief executive of Hutch the China Meditech last week, and he said, "I mean, the Chinese market, the Chinese pharmaceutical market, is going to be the biggest pharmaceutical market in the world." There's absolutely no doubt about it. Yeah, I, I mean, the other, the other trends you point to are, and we've talked about Netflix, but but actually, media's continuing to change. Yeah, I mean, you know, us sitting here in a podcast wouldn't have happened exactly even you know a decade ago. Yeah. And, and actually, the real trend here is 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 the how social media is enabling is changing the even sort of traditional media. Yeah, I the way we strictly we... come dancing, which I don't watch. <laughs> But no, this is a fascinating story, and it's. I yeah. mean, t- tell, tell us about this example. I, I mean, it, it's mind-boggling. Yeah, it is. So there's a YouTuber on Street to Come Dancing this year, and I mean, are you? And even my sister, who's 16, said, "I cannot believe this person's on Street to Come Dancing. Can they not find anyone more famous?" He's literally made himself famous. He, I mean, he's an intelligent guy, but he has just made videos of himself doing silly things, and that is how he is famous enough to be on Street to Come Dancing. And yeah, not saying that Street to Come Dancing has attracted the most famous people in the world. And there's a few people on it right now who are more famous than they were before. Yeah, (laughs) that is true. Um, (laughs) Let's not talk about that. Um, What I found fascinating is that that because he has so much celebrity online, he's going to win. If he doesn't win, what's he doing? He's got 8.3 million YouTube followers. So this is interesting. I read this in The Guardian, actually, that his first dance was viewed on YouTube about 10 million times. That's about 10 times the amount of views than all the other dances in the Strictly Come Dancing final last year got. He's going to win it. Yeah, and so basically the media world has been, has been turned on its head yeah. and will continue to be turned on its head. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's just changing yeah. all the time. The other one we, we, we mentioned in the feature is robotics and automation. Mm-hmm. You can't really avoid, you can't, you can't about avoid that. it. I guess the interesting thing here is that a lot of companies involved in robotics and automation also fall into this bracket of fantastic momentum stocks mm. where the story might be, to, might yeah. be about to run Blue out of steam a little. Blue Prism is yeah. an incredible growth story. I think it's, it's up 2,000% since it listed in March 2016. Is it still up 2,000%? I haven't looked this this week. 
probably really worth when going was, away. When this was second. written. When this was written, <laughs> it was still up to 2,000%. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, another interesting story. But I guess there, there also lies a, 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 a lesson that tapping into these trends, you have to be very careful yeah. not to get carried away. Yeah. Um, should we should we turn back to uh, your your news story? Let's get let's back to gloom, back to gloom. The news story about the telecoms industry. Well, I say gloom, gloom for shareholders potentially and uh, telcos themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, potentially good news for consumers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, also, kind of taps into that that kind of handheld mobile data trend. Yeah. This is really fascinating. It, it could be. So, what's happened is the Citizens Advice Bureau has. Uh, issued what they call a super complaint. So they were given they were given the rights in 2002, I think it was, to issue super complaints to the Competition and Markets Authority. And, and they, they haven't held that. back since, have they? No. <laughs> they've, they've done four, but one of them was it culminated in the PPI scandal, which has cost the banks £32 billion so far. Mm. So if this current super complaint, which is to do with telecoms companies, actually it's not just telecoms companies, it's it's a lot of uh, a lot of service providers, so mobile broadband, home insurance, mortgages, and savings providers, are charging their customers for services or items which they've already actually paid off. I, th- I think mobile phones are the best example. Yeah, they actually, are. I'm kind of surprised. They, they, I think they should have separated that out. But hey, I don't work for them, uh, and I don't advise them. But mobile phone contracts are are an incredibly interesting thing. You pay. For a 24-month contract and you pay a large amount of money and if you get the phone with it, you're essentially paying for the phone wrapped up in the contract. Yeah. When you reach the end of your contract, you continue paying the same amount of money even though you've actually paid for the mm-hmm. phone. And generally speaking, many people don't... Well, you're, you, you can avoid that by switching, mm-hmm. by taking on a new contract. A lot of people don't get around to it. So basically, the, the, the argument is that, that telcos are essentially making money for nothing, exactly. literally. Yeah, and, and it's... Inertia. It's inertia, yeah. It's inertia. And in this case, I, I'd say it's particularly interesting because you're actually paying for something you've already paid for. Mm. And that feel that feels that just has a feel of being really bad. Yeah. Point. But this is this is a trend in this is a trend in consumer spending anyway, in terms of not buying an item outright, but actually spreading it over a period of time, two or three years. Um, phones are a very good example. We do it with cars. Elect- sofas, ele- electrical equipment, that, all that kind of thing. But um, I think this is this is an interesting interesting sort of debate in terms of it's information. The consumer, you know, perhaps what they're saying is the consumers aren't aren't as well informed as the as the sellers, and the sellers are taking advantage of that. See, I I think there may be an element of that. I know full well that my contract has ended, and I spent. I knew it ended, you know, six months ago, and I spent a couple of months. Going, oh, I need to update. Oh, I just need to do that. And you know, time time gets the better of you. Or you and, could just buy a sim. Yeah, but then I had to buy a phone. So I didn't and, even realise that this was a a thing, though. I assumed that they just automatically stopped charging you for no. the proportion of your contract, which was the phone. I honestly did not realise this until. I wrote this article and which, then I went to look and I have discovered that I am continuing to pay for my phone, which I have since broken, but I paid it off like two years ago. Which would support Phil's view that that, that actually the industry has more information than you. It, yeah. Or it hasn't is. conveyed to you how their products actually I don't think the industry is work. conveying it, it make, enough. It makes more sense, more often than not, to actually buy the handset outright and then buy, buy a SIM-only plan. Yeah, but, you see, but a lot of people, you've got to have, you know, that's 800 quid up front for a... 
for some of these phones. And last yeah. time I did this, and I, this is actually true, and I wrote this in the article. Last time I did switch phones, I did actually create a spreadsheet to check to see whether it was cheaper because so many of the of the telecoms providers are offering such cheap offers at the moment. EE is, it's, I mean, it's ridiculously cheap. And it was cheaper to not pay for the a pretty, pretty inexpensive phone. It was a, a iPhone 5S, which is quite an old phone now. Yeah. And it was cheaper to pay it on a contract than it was to pay, pay for it up front. But it's not cheaper right. when you, you reach the end of that contract and, and you, you carry on paying pay for, for it exactly. for six months. And yeah. I guess that's the difference between a lot of other consumer credit. You know, I have some sofas that I bought a couple of years ago on credit. They, that payment plan has a finite structure and will it end yeah and this is different these you are paying for a product and there is no end date mm-hmm. unless you actually do it yourself yeah. and that feels that the, the uh the um the citizens advice bureau has a, has some grounds for this complaint. yeah and it's they're being backed up by ofcom as well who's done its own extensive research into this you spoke to them didn't you yeah i spoke to ofcom and they said that they support what the citizens advice bureau is doing and the cma is doing and they've looked at this before they have said that they're trying to put uh, plans in place to make telecoms companies they they have to tell their consumers when their uh, when their contract's coming to an end Vodafone actually says it already does that uh, when when I spoke to Vodafone and BT actually got back to me today and said they do it too but I mean, mm, I'm with three yeah, I'm with three. Yeah, as well. if, they did, if they did do it, I don't remember it. No, I don't. I didn't with three. I don't remember getting a text, and it just one text. It's not enough. I don't think it's enough. And and that's, I, like, I'm 26 and I'm perfectly capable. I mean, yes, some of that's on me. You can, set, you can set up spreadsheets to uh, evaluate the cost <laughs> of uh, contract versus SIM only. But for people who are elderly or, or even people uh, vulner- who have got I think they were vulnerable, vulnerable people. people. Yeah. I, think that's I, I, the- I seem to remember reading a story about some 90-year-old lady who had had the same phone for four or five years and was had paid an absolute fortune. That's you, just awful. So, so, I mean, I guess I guess the big question then. I mean, there seems there seems to be this will this will ha- have some legs. I suspect the the big question then is what is the implications for telcos? Well, considering these companies are so close to their not being able to pay their dividends, and that's what everyone's talking about. And that's why both BT and Vodafone's yield is about nine percent at the moment. People do not think they're going to be able to keep paying their dividends. The, it would be bad if the repercussions are as big as it has been for the banks. It's not going to be as big as that, I suspect. Probably but there were, there were some figures being banded about. You yeah, said. so the Ofcom says about three hundred thirty million a year across the industry. Across the industry, a year, mm-hmm. but it could go back multiple years. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, the Citizens Advice, Advice Bureau says four billion a year, but that is across mobile broadband, home insurance, mortgage savings. That's the whole, all, all of them. So, I mean, if telcos is a big proportion of that, then that's worrying. But Does this extend to um, companies like Carphone Warehouse as well? I don't know. The the names I've seen are Vodafone, EE and 3. Right. And but they're selling, they're selling contracts on behalf of these. So, so they're, they're essentially a channel. Unless, a they have, man, unless they have their own, te- they're a middleman. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so they sell, they get a cup. They're selling, they're selling handsets. They're selling handsets, yeah. or they're selling the contract with with the kind yeah. of financing built in. And, and I guess that at that point they pass it over to to the telco. Yeah. And at the end of that contract, it's up to the telco to to communicate with the customer. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this feels it feels like it, it's going to run and run. Mm. Yeah, and it's a, yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to look at when when you're considering in, investing in one of these telecoms companies. 
it's not something that's actually being talked about that much at the moment, but it could be something that's that has a big impact later on. Well, PPI wasn't being talked about much in, in relation to the banks a few years back. Um, it actually ties in quite nicely with what Chris Dillow's written about this week, which is uh, essentially how difficult it is becoming to find defensive shares. Uh, you know, these telcos were once considered, you know, yeah. bastions of defensiveness. Yeah. Uh, the same with tobacco, mm-hmm. uh, which you talk about in the uh, in the cover feature. Mm-hmm. Not quite as defensive as they perhaps yeah. once looked. And regulation is obviously a big part of that. Yeah. And farmers as well. Yeah, well, geez, I wouldn't uh, wouldn't like to be exposed. <laughs> they're to that even industry. more leveraged than the than the telecoms companies. Yeah, and they're they're not part of this super complaint, are they? But no, no. But there, there's other stuff going on there. The government has obviously yeah. intervened uh, quite substantially mm-hmm. in that market already. Uh, okay, so a grim week. A little, little bit of light there, thanks to, thanks to your feature. Um, lots of stuff to think about if you are a shareholder, particularly in uh, something that has had a really good run um, and, and maybe the price that, that new investors are being asked is, is, is punchy. So thank you, Megan, and thank you, Phil. Um, there's plenty more in the magazine uh, this week. The second feature is uh, John Rosier's diary. He's actually uh, had, a, had a good month, uh, unlike many people, thanks to his exposure to oil, um, although I noticed the price of oil had come off a little bit in the last couple of days as well. So... Fingers crossed that, that, that works out well for him in the future. Lots of geopolitical shenanigans going on at the moment, which I, I don't, he wouldn't even know where to start on this podcast. Um, you, lots more comment. Uh, we say we've got Phil, uh, Simon, Chris, Bearball. Um, yeah, I've got the full, full house this week, the trader. Um, results a bit thin on the ground at the moment, but. Yeah, uh, a couple of interesting ones in there. Yeah, what we've got? YouGov. Oh, YouGov. Yeah, yeah. Well, Phil and I were talking about that before. That's one for another time. Sarah's Power. Mm. That's an interesting. That's and it, a really interesting company. I think being asked a lot of money for that. Yeah. Lot, lots of promise. Uh, 268 million market cap. Uh, yeah, and I can't believe that. That's extraordinary compared to a couple of years ago when yeah. it was. Six million turnover. Twelve million loss. Six million cash in the bank. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> um, anyway, thank you all for listening. Um, pick up the magazine uh, in all good news agents, trends to be friends. Uh, the sector set for a profitable future. We'll be back again next week. The personal finance team uh, will obviously be uh, in the studio tomorrow recording uh, their podcast. Lots in their section as well this week. Um, thank you very much. Speak soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.